Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near to the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. For God by the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Fathers, we have now read this passage of Scripture and it's circulating in our minds. Lord, we pray that you would help some of the realities of this passage to become understandable for us and applicable for us, Lord. I pray that as we consider this amazing reality that we though many members are one body in Christ, and that in this place, we are being built up into a spiritual household, that we are pictured as a temple of God, and your presence is here with us. Lord, we're so blown away by that reality and excited by that reality. And Lord, because you're here, we pray that you would speak to each of us and minister to us through this time in your word, and that through this time of teaching, we would become more and more like Jesus. So we ask that you would do this. Lord, we're asking that you would do it for your glory and for our eternal good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I want you this morning to think about a time in your life when you had a really big meeting. A real big meeting, a significant, important meeting. Maybe it was a job interview for a job that you really, really wanted. Or maybe it was a court appearance that you had to show up for and maybe give testimony or be a witness. Or maybe it was a meeting with your boss about a promotion that you were hoping to have or on the negative end, maybe with your boss about some bad things that you were doing or that were going on in the company. Or maybe you had a chance at one point in your life to meet with somebody who was famous or otherwise significant. You know, generally when you have an important, significant meeting with someone, you kind of prepare yourself for it, right? You, you, you kind of come in ready, you've thought through what you're going to say or do, you prepare yourself for a meeting like that. You know, when people have the opportunity to go to events where the president is going to be, and they've been made aware that the president is going to make rounds and greet all of the different visitors there, oftentimes they'll think about the one specific thing they want to say to the president because they know they only get like one sentence. So people will spend time kind of agonizing over what do I want to say to the president when he comes and shakes 
my hand. People want to be prepared for a significant meeting. Today, what I want to do is we're kicking off a brand new year. Is we're, we're pausing, obviously, from our series through Timothy that we're doing. And I want us to stop this morning and think about the big meeting that each and every one of us have every single week when we come to church. No, I don't mean a meeting that you have with the pastor. Honestly, that wouldn't be all that significant. What I mean is the meeting that you and I have every single Sunday when we come to church with the God of this universe. That's what's happening when we gather as the people of God and we come to church. We are meeting with God. And it would be a shame if we failed to come prepared. So I want us to talk about that here this morning. Now some might say, well, Daniel... I meet with God every single day. What are you talking about meeting with God here at church? I hope you do meet with God every day. All of us should meet with God every single day. But you need to know, and I'm afraid a lot of Christians are not fully aware of this, that when you and I come to church, and by that I don't necessarily mean this particular building, but when you and I get together and gather or assemble with the people of God, God is present with us in particular, unique, and powerful ways. What do you mean by that, Daniel? Here's what I mean. Most of us as Christians are aware that the Bible teaches that you and I, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we understand that message of the gospel, that though we are sinners and we were alienated from God, that He didn't leave us that way. He sent his son here to live a righteous life, to die a substitutionary death on the cross, and then to rise again three days later. Most of us understand that the New Testament teaches that when we put our faith in that Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we receive him as Savior and Lord, that Holy Spirit actually takes up residence inside our hearts. And so the New Testament teaches that you and I, if you are in Christ, are temples of God. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. But most of us are not totally aware that the scriptures teach that not only are we individually temples of the Holy Spirit, but that the church corporately or collectively is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together as the people of God, God is with us in unique and powerful ways. In Ephesians chapter 2, the text that we read this morning, we see this idea that you and I, when we gather collectively, are the temple of God. We are a dwelling place of God. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to zero in on verse 19. Ephesians 2.19, Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul is teaching there, and he teaches elsewhere, like in Corinthians, 
That every single believer in the church here at Ephesus, Jew and Gentile alike, is a part of the temple that the Spirit of God is dwelling in. So the picture is like this. Each and every member of the church is like a brick in the building or a stone in the building. All of us members are being joined together. We're being formed together into this spiritual house, into this temple where God dwells. And what this means is that when we gather, as we gather as God's people, God's presence is with us. It's no wonder then that in Revelation 2.1, we read of Jesus walking in the midst of the churches. Jesus walking in the midst of the churches. God is with us in unique and powerful ways as we, again, gather as a church. And I want to impress this on our hearts and minds this morning. For example, He is here with us as we sing His praises. The psalmist famously wrote in Psalm 22.3, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is with us as we pray. Jeremiah 33.3, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God is here with us as we teach His Word and as we participate in the ordinances of the church like baptism. Listen to this famous text in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Starting in verse 18, Jesus says this. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is with us as we do this, as we make disciples, as we teach his word, as we baptize people in his name. Finally, Jesus is with us as a church as we affirm or deny one another's citizenship in his kingdom. We see this in Matthew 18. Jesus says in 18.18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So as we gather and in that context, affirm somebody's citizenship in the kingdom or deny it, Jesus is promising his presence with us in that process. I'm saying all of this to you this morning to say that this is a sacred and holy place. Again, not because of the shape of this building. Not because of the sign out in front of this church. But because of God's presence in us individually and with us corporately when we gather as His people. And so, as people who have this amazing privilege that is afforded to us every single week to gather together and experience God's presence. We ought to be a people who do that eagerly and who come to do that prepared. We should want to do everything in our power to experience God to the fullest. We have been given a great privilege We should respond 
with eagerness and excitement. On your bulletin this morning, we have Romans 12.1. And really, this is Paul's argument in Romans 12.1. He writes this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What Paul is saying is, look, based on the incredible mercy that God has given to you, the fact that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you have been brought into the family of God. You have been afforded the presence of God. You can know Him and be known by Him. Because of that, Paul says, our response should be to offer to God our bodies, our, our whole being as a living sacrifice. And he says, listen, that's really your spiritual worship. You want to know what worship is? It is complete surrender of the entire individual to the presence of God. It is saying, God, you can have all of me, all of the time. And so as we gather in the church, again, knowing that God promises his presence to us in the church, the posture of our heart should be, this is an amazing privilege. Lord, I want all of you and I want you to have all of me. And I want to tell you this morning that there are specific steps that you and I can take to really prepare ourselves to experience God when we gather together on the Lord's day. And so I want to talk about that this morning, preparing ourselves to worship, preparing ourselves for the presence of God. Now, this is bonus material, but it should be obvious by what I've said so far that just being at church every week is important. This is a great place to start. This is a rhythm of grace that God has given to His people that you can gather every Lord's Day and experience His presence. So as we start 2019, one of the things all of us should be thinking about is how committed am I to the church? How committed am I to taking seriously this rhythm of grace that God has given to me, this place where God promises His presence? Am I committed to that? Am I willing to say, six days a man shall work, and on the seventh day he shall rest, and he shall Sabbath, and he shall worship? The church has always understood Sunday to be the Lord's day. It would behoove us to continue to honor that and to come here eager to worship. But again, I want to give us some help this morning on what it looks like for us to prepare ourselves to worship. In doing so, I want to submit an idea to you right now that might be a bit of a paradigm shift for some of us. And here's the idea, and it's actually the title of my sermon this morning. Sunday worship begins Saturday night. Sunday worship begins Saturday night. When we come to church, if we're going to get the most out of church, and if we're going to experience all that God intends for us in church, there's some preparation that needs to go into that. And again, I would submit to you that some of that preparation actually doesn't even begin this morning. It actually begins the night before. The first thing I want to encourage or commend to all of us this morning as we start a new year and we think about coming to church and we think about worshiping and we think about engaging with God here is this, 
Come to church with a prepared body and mind. Come to church with a prepared body and mind. Jesus, famously when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Responded this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And then listen, and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. Again, when we think about worship, it is a total surrender of the whole person. It is giving all of yourself to God. And that includes your strength, your energy, and your mind. Some of us, and I see it on our faces, (laughs) some of us are dragging ourselves into church every single week and then drugging ourselves with caffeine through church to stay awake the whole time in a sugar rush. And we're still dozing off in church. Now, for some of you, because of age or disability or a sickness, maybe medication that you're taking right now, this is inevitable. Or others in this church, I know you work graveyard shifts at the hospital or in other jobs. And listen, we get that. I'm not talking about that. But for most of us, we come into church exhausted every week, not because it's inevitable, it's because we are coming into church not prepared. It's lack of preparation. What I mean by that is many of us choose to stay up way too late on Saturday night. And we're exhausted on Sunday. Or some of us get up extra early on Sunday to cram something else in before church. Family, listen to me. We start church at 10 30 a.m. There's nothing more we can do to aid you in this. (laughs) Most of you start work Monday through Friday way earlier than that. So theoretically, you could sleep in and be extra refreshed on Sunday morning so that you can be ready to engage God with all of your strength and with all of your mind. I remember before taking my SATs in high school, that night before, I remember... I, I went to bed really, really early. And I can also remember being an athlete my whole life that before big games, I would try to get to bed really, really early the night before. And the reason, of course, is obvious because I wanted to be at my best the next day. I wanted to be prepared to ace that exam, which I didn't do, by the way. And I wanted to be prepared to give it my all playing sports the next day. And many of you can relate to that. When you've got something big and significant, you go, man, I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to take some melatonin and get to bed the night before. Family, listen, how much more then? Knowing that what we do when we gather here is not trivial. When we gather here, the God of the universe and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is saying, I am here. I'm ready to meet with you. I want to engage with you. I want to nourish you and strengthen you. How much more should we be people who say, I'm ready to get to sleep on Saturday night. i got a big day tomorrow. I've got the most important thing that is happening in my weekly rhythm happening tomorrow morning. I'm going I'm to power down Netflix early. I'm going to leave the function or the party that I'm at and get myself to bed. How much more should that be our heart's posture as we come to church week in and week out? I mean, just imagine if... Of course, this is not possible, but imagine if we we did a big advertising campaign for the last month and we said, look, on January 6th, we're celebrating kind of the one-year launch of Apostles Church by having none other than Jesus of Nazareth preaching in the pulpit that Sunday. 
Like, can you imagine if Daniel was going to take the week off? Some of you are like, that would be awesome. And Jesus himself was going to stand here and preach the sermon. Now, you know why I'm saying this, right? Not because I'm Jesus preaching the sermon, but because, listen, again, we cannot be reminded too often that what Scripture teaches about what is happening as we gather is actually that remarkable. The Scriptures are teaching that when we gather as the people of God corporately and we do the things that we're doing here on Sunday morning, Jesus is present. He is with us. And He wants to engage with us and He wants to transform us and shape us and form us into His image. If Jesus was going to come here and preach live this Sunday or next Sunday, I would be getting to bed early the night before. And I'd be doing a lot of other stuff and I'm going to share that with you next. Church, our capacity to encounter God on Sunday is impacted by our rest on Saturday. So I commend to you this year, start preparing for Sunday worship on Saturday. Not only should we be coming with prepared body and mind, but we need to come, secondly, with a prepared heart and spirit. Come with a prepared heart and spirit. Many of us show up to church no differently than we show up to a movie. How do you show up to a movie? Well, you grab your popcorn and candy, in this case, cup of coffee and pastry. Okay, and then we slide into our seat during previews, which is how unfortunately many people see the time of praise that goes on in the church. That's just kind of the previews. And then we're there in our seat ready for the main attraction, the feature film, which a lot of people see as the preaching of the sermon in a church. And that's how we approach church. We just kind of walk in and we sit down last minute and we just go, okay, I'm ready to watch this thing go down. R.C. Sproul wrote this, it is very important that we take time to prepare our hearts to worship God before we set foot in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. God made this clear amid the awesome circumstances of the giving of the law in Exodus 19. God called the people to prepare to come into His presence or near His presence but not actually onto the mountain where he would speak to Moses. Here's what he writes in Exodus 19, 10-11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. R.C. Sproul continues, God wanted the people of Israel before they came near to Him, to get ready to come near to Him, to prepare themselves for an encounter with Him. And again, we have got to get this into our understanding that when we come to church, there is an encounter waiting for us with God. We need to be a prepared people. We don't want to just show up and go through the motions. We don't want to just show up and spectate. We should come prepared, preparing our heart, preparing our spirit, again, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with your heart and your spirit and your mind and your strength. One great way to prepare your heart for church is to pray. To pray. I would encourage you, family, listen, set a time aside or set aside time. 
That's right, set aside time before you're at church, perhaps. Maybe at home, before you even come to church to pray. Or maybe it's on your car ride down here, you and your family praying together for your hearts and for your minds and for your spirit to be prepared. Or maybe be here a few minutes early, sit in your chair, take a moment to be quiet and still before the Lord, preparing your heart and your spirit to meet with Him. The Scriptures over and over again remind us that as we come eagerly seeking the Lord in prayer, He's not going to hide from us. We're going to find Him when we choose to do that. James 4.8 reminds us that as we draw near to Him, He'll do what? He'll draw near to us. Jeremiah 29.13, You will seek me and find me, He promised His people, when you seek me with all of your heart. Listen, God's not trying to hide from you. Again, God is telling you where you can find Him. Now again, I understand we can meet with God every single day personally and we should, but again, Scriptures make it clear there is a unique and powerful way that God meets with us. When we gather on Sunday, He's saying, come, meet with me, I'm here, I'm not hiding from you. And as we prepare our hearts, we're going to be able to engage with Him more fully. What do we pray about? Here's a couple good things we could pray about. We confess our sins to God. We sit and we pause and we say, Lord, before I come and worship you this morning, are there sins that need to be confessed? Are there things that I've been giving myself to this week that are actually separating me from you relationally? So we can confess sins. We can pray for the right attitude. Lord, would you give me joy this morning? Lord, would you give me love this morning for the people that I'm going to worship next to? Lord, would you give me a servant's heart this morning if I see a need at the church? God, make me be attentive to that. Help me to want to serve. But Lord, would you, would you give me also a, a soft, receptive heart to all that you want to say to me this morning? Lord, that there wouldn't be hardness in my heart, that I wouldn't be resistant to the things that you are challenging me with, but that I'd be open and receptive to those things. I could even pray for others and say, Lord, would you help these same things to be true in others. You could pray for your pastor. Lord, help him to faithfully teach your word this morning. We need to come with a prepared heart and spirit. Third, I would commend all of us this morning that as we come to church, we should come to church with a prepared gift. A prepared gift. Now, let me just be candid and honest with you. If you've been coming to this church for a while, um, the, the offering that happens here should not come as a surprise to you. We do it every single Sunday. And, and not only that, but we do it at the same point in the service every single Sunday. And not only that, we print it in the bulletin. And not only that, there's envelopes in the seat backs that communicate that there's a, an offering received here. And not only that, we actually get up on the stage and we set the offering up before it's received every single Sunday and we pray before we receive it. And then lastly, we even have like reinforcement on the screens if you want to learn to give electronically. Like we're not, trying to, we're not trying to hide or deceive anybody or confuse you. There's an offering that takes place every single Sunday and it takes place at the same time. And so if the basket comes down the aisle and when it bumps into you, it shocks you, we've got a problem here. <laughs> we've got a problem here. It's sort of like those moving sidewalks at the airport. You guys use those? Like you're going through an airport terminal and you can jump on the sidewalk and it speeds you up. 
Heard a comedian talking about those one time, and he was saying, look, those things are amazing because no matter how much mental stimuli the airport tries to offer people so that you understand how the system works, people still don't get it. He was saying, honestly, you go to these walking, moving sidewalks, and on the right-hand side, every five feet, posted above your head, it says, stand, 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 stand. And then over the left side of the stair, or the, the sidewalk, it says, walk, 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 walk. And then on the handrails, every five feet, there's another sign that says, stand, 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 stand. And on the left side, walk, 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 walk. And then there's a divided, dotted line going down the middle of that moving sidewalk. And on the right side, you have somebody with their feet together, and it says, stand. And on the left side, their feet are apart, and it says, walk. And you still see people in the airport after all of that who are just riding that left handrail, just riding it. And you're like, do you not understand the system? No matter how much mental stimuli, it still confuses and shocks people. Offerings in churches should not be that way. It happens every Sunday, family. We need to come with a prepared gift. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, let me just say something to you please know that we do not want your money. And I think some people sometimes think that if I give, I can earn God's blessing in my life or I can receive something from, my, from God. Um, or if I give, maybe I'll earn acceptance with these people in this church. I want you to know if you're visiting us this morning and you're not a Christian here today, if you never gave this church a penny for the rest of your life and you came here, we still want to love you, we value you, and we are here to serve you no matter what. We are not interested in your money. Because even as Christians, we are not here giving to get something. As Christians, it actually works back or the other way around. The reason why we give is not to receive. We've received something and therefore we give. We as Christians recognize that God has given us the greatest gift Ever the gift of his own son, Jesus Christ, who lived a righteous life, which we couldn't do, and he became our righteousness, and he died a sacrificial death on the cross as a substitute for our sins, so that although we have sinned against God, we could experience forgiveness, and he was raised from the grave three days later, so that you and I could conquer death as well, we could experience the resurrection, and we could enjoy God's presence forever. God has given us an amazing gift and we've received it. And because of that, we freely give. That's the way it works. And that's how we need to understand giving in the church. Because of that, as Christians, we believe that giving is a vital part of our worship. Let me, because of this, stop for a moment and offer us a few principles regarding giving to help us think about this from a biblical lens. Let me read a scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. Paul writes this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In this passage, we know a few things that we are called to give willingly, he says, as each has decided in his heart. We're called to give generously, and we're called to give cheerfully. Okay, that's, that's how God is calling us to give 
to Him. And then over in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, we also know that we're called to give to God first from our income and not last or our leftovers. Here's what Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, he writes, of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Notice it's not when your barns are filled with plenty and your vats are bursting with wine, then give to the Lord. As if we wait and we go, okay, if I've got a ton of stuff, then I'm going to squeeze a little bit out for Jesus. That's not the way it works. God is saying, look, as I give you something, as I bless you with resources to take care of yourself because I'm a good father and I take care of my kids, as I do that, I want you to honor me with the first fruits of what you've been given. And of course, the promise there, or the principle there, I should say, in Proverbs is as we honor God with the first fruits, then he takes care of the needs. When we give to God out of our first fruits, when we give God his portion out of the beginning of the check, the beginning of the month, it's a way of saying a few things to God. It's a way of saying, God, you are first in my life. You matter more than anything to me. Before I go spend my money on these other things, God, I am giving to you. You're the highest priority of my life. We're also saying, God, I acknowledge that every penny, every dollar that I have has come to me because of you. I don't earn a penny without your grace. I don't earn a penny without the things that you have given to me, whether they're natural talents and abilities or other ways that you've provided for me. It's also a way of saying, God, eternity is more important than now. Jesus taught us to not store up our treasures here on earth. He said, instead, we should store our treasures up in heaven. That's a way of doing it. We're saying, God, we believe in eternity and we believe in your kingdom and we're sending resources on ahead. We're making wise, permanent investments. So here's a, practical question and then we'll move on because we're going okay we're supposed to give generously and cheerfully and willingly and out of the first fruits of what we have but we haven't said anything about how much to give well short answer is this each of us should determine in our own hearts to give right that's what we read in Corinthians but is there anything else is there like a guideline that 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 we have that can help us to begin understanding what to give Many Christians historically have used the Old Testament principle of the tithe as a starting point for giving. And the tithe has been used throughout church history, sort of like the training wheels that we have on our bike. It's like the training wheels to help us to learn the art and the joy of giving. What is a tithe? Well, a tithe means a tenth, a tenth. And so what God had commanded his people in the Old Testament to do is to give 10% or a tenth of, for them in an agricultural society, their produce. But the point is a tenth of their income to him. A tenth of their income straight off the top was a tithe that went to God. We see this in Leviticus 27.30. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now let me say this, the Old Testament Jews didn't stop here. There were other offerings that God called his people to give beyond the tithe, but this was a starting point. 
Now, the tithe is not commanded in the New Testament the way that it is in the Old Testament. And we need to be clear about that. You don't see a scripture in the New Testament that says every Christian needs to give a tenth of their income to the Lord. Because of this, Christians have differing opinions about whether or not the tithe is a good idea for Christians to follow after. But I fully agree with pastor and author Randy Alcorn when he writes this. Maybe you disagree with the church fathers, Origen, Jerome, and Augustine, who taught that the tithe was the minimum giving requirement for Christians. But it seems fair to ask, he writes, God, do you really expect less of me, who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history, than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? End quote. What's his argument? His argument is, look, if that was God's baseline standard of giving for the Jews of old, who had received a fraction of what we've been given by God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have, uh, we have again, in, in where you and I are living, we have received so many blessings from Almighty God. Would it really be sensible for us to say, yeah, we're not into that like 10% thing. We think we probably should come in around 3%. That's what we should be doing. Is that sensible? Now, I know for some of us, you hear 10%. Wow, that's crazy. Should I do that? Again, I'm not, we're not saying that that's a law to keep, but we are saying that's probably a wise starting point. But some of you are saying 10% of my income. I don't think I could afford to give 10% of my income to God. And I understand that thinking. But I would submit to you that you can't afford to not give at least 10% of your income to God. Pastor James McDonald once said this, and I'll never forget it, completely changed my thinking on giving. He said, 90% of your income with God is more than 100% of your income without Him. Again, 90% of your income with God is more than 100% of your income without Him. And the point is that Scripture is clear. As we honor God with our lives, and in this specific instance, as we honor God with our resources, God will be faithful to take care of us, to provide for us, to meet our needs. And so this really is a question of faith. Am I going to trust that as I give to the Lord, He will provide for me? I commend to you this morning, don't wait for the offering to come around every week and then fumble around in your purse or in your wallet and go, man, what do I have? Do I have something to give? Come to church prepared, thinking about what it might look like for you to give to the Lord generously, to give to the Lord uh, as you determine in your own heart. And when we've thought this through ahead of time and we come prepared, it's much easier for us to give joyfully to the Lord and invest in his kingdom. Fourth and finally, and we'll bring this to a close, come to church with a few minutes to spare. <laughs> come to church with a few minutes to spare. I want to challenge you, church. Be punctual. Be here when church begins. All of the service matters. Nothing that we're doing on Sunday morning is B-roll footage for the movie. Okay, Everything that is happening matters. From the call to worship, when we begin service, as we're orienting our hearts around the truth of the gospel, to the songs that we're singing to praise God, I mean, some of those songs that we're singing, they're so rich theologically, aren't they? 
And as you're sitting here and you're singing these songs, I mean, some of us are able to think about those words and reflect on our week that we've had or the season of life that we're in. And these words are so meaningful and they're, they're able to, to strengthen our faith in moments of trial. These things matter. It's not just warm-up for the main event. All of the activities on a Sunday morning orient our hearts toward Jesus and they facilitate worship. Church is not a lecture. Church is a worship service. And we worship in many ways. Be here for all of it. Be here able to settle into your seat before the call to worship so that your heart and mind can be focused. We need to be here wanting to express to the Lord in song His goodness and His mercy. We want to be here to agree, with the, or to agree in the Lord with the prayers that are being prayed publicly. We want to participate in the giving. We want to interact with other church members during the moments for fellowship. We want to hear from God during the preaching of His Word. And we want to be nourished and strengthened spiritually as we receive the Lord's Supper together. The church, I want to encourage you. Be here for all of it. Because all of it matters. As we begin this new year, I want to challenge us, Apostles Church, as a family, to lean into the awesome privilege. It's a blood-bought privilege to encounter and know the living God. And I want to challenge us to come to church doing everything in our power to prepare our hearts and our souls and our minds and our bodies to engage with God here from beginning to end with all the different ways that are available to us to engage with Him and relate with him, or relate to him. I want to challenge us. Lean into these things. Encounter his presence together with the people of God. So let us close reminding ourselves once again of the Apostle Paul's appeal to us that's on our bulletins. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Heavenly Father, this appeal this morning is completely and solely based on the mercies of God that we've received. We've talked about it in numerous ways this morning. The basis for our worship, the basis for being able to experience you and relate to you is the work of your son, Jesus Christ. And we know there was nothing that we could do to earn your favor. We know that because of our sin, we were cut off from you. We were alienated from you. We were like the children of Israel at the base of the Mount Sinai. They couldn't approach you in their sinfulness or they would die. But God, you did not leave us in that place. You loved us so much that you sent your own son, Jesus, on a rescue mission to deal with our sins so that we could be made righteous by faith, so that we could know you and experience you. And Lord, on that basis, we once again this morning, as we start a brand new year, are making the decision again to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. For that is our spiritual worship. Lord, I pray for us as a church family that as we move through this calendar year, 
That we would commit in our hearts and in our families. That we would be here for this amazing rhythm of grace, which is called Sunday worship, weekly worship. That we would be here faithfully. That we would come as a people prepared to meet with our God. And Lord, we pray that when we get to the end of this year and we look back, we would see that you met with us in profound ways and that you were using church to transform us more and more into the people you created us to be. Little Christs walking in his image. Lord, do these things in our midst, we ask. Again, for your glory and for our eternal good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.